No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than the people of the United States. Every step by which they have advanced to the character of an independent nation seems to have been distinguished by some token of providential agency. Thus said the great general of the Continental Army, the first president of the United States, vestryman and warden of Truro Parish, an Anglican Christian, George Washington, in 1789. Washington was constantly talking about God's providence. If you read anything that he wrote, his writing is littered with references to the Almighty. And the fact that God smiles, or that he uses his arm for, or that his hand preserves and has preserved Washington. His writings are replete with giving glory to God, both for this nascent nascent country, which he was the first president of, and in his own personal life. And we see God's providence in our collect today, and also in action throughout the Old Testament series that we're continuing here with Isaac and Rebecca in Genesis. So I invite you to open in your Bibles to Genesis 26, or take a look in your order of service at the first lesson. This is part two of a two-part interlude in Genesis. And we started this last week talking about how God's promise and Rebecca's and Isaac's faith and then lack of faith, take them to a foreign land. If you remember last week, there was a great famine when they, where they were living. And God called Isaac and Rebekah to sojourn in the land of Gerar. Or Gerar, I'm not sure how it's actually pronounced. I think Austin pronounced it Gerar. That's probably more right. In Gerar. Isaac then turned to deception. And just like his father... Abraham passed his wife off as his sister. He's confronted by Abimelech, the king of the Philistines in Gerar. And then God blesses Isaac, not because of his moral superiority, but because he's a child of promise. In today's text, where we pick up, we start once again with Isaac and Rebekah, still in that foreign land, the land of Gerar and the land of the Philistines. And this passage today is all about two things, principally. Number one, God's presence. And number two, God's blessing. That's the main theological point. And beyond that, the two can be taken together because the Scriptures are telling us where God is present, there is His abundant blessing. So I invite you again to take a look at Genesis chapter 26, our first lesson. And as you look at Genesis chapter 26, where do you see God saying that he's with Isaac and Rebekah? And where do you see his blessing? Where do you see it? It's actually mentioned three times 
in the larger passage. The first place we see it is back before today's passage in verse 3. So that's a little bit of a trick one, right? God says to Isaac and Rebekah, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you. There's his presence. And I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. So there's God promising to be with Isaac and Rebekah in the future tense. But it comes up again in verse 24. Look at verse 24. That is in today's reading. And the Lord appeared to him, that is Isaac, the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for... I am with you, there's his presence, and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So you see a reiteration of it in the present tense. The really interesting thing is that it comes up yet again in verse 28, just a little bit down. They said, so this is interesting, this is Philco and Abimelech, the Philistine king and commander, they said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. There's God's presence. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. Which we're going to see, that's a little bit of a fib. But look at verse 29. I'm sorry. Look at verse... Yeah, the end of verse 29. But but good have done nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So here we have God's presence and God's blessing In future tense, the beginning of the chapter, in present tense, as Isaac and Rebekah worship the Lord after last week's episode, and here in the past tense, in the very mouth of pagans, Abimelech and Philco, seeing who Isaac is. We look at the entire passage in its overall picture, we have to start there, we see that despite Isaac's lack of trust in God regarding his safety, God is with him because he's a child of promise. And God's presence brings blessing to him, not because of his actions, but in spite of his actions. That's an odd thing. We also see this blessing here in today's second part of this passage being acknowledged by the world. And so, there's three things that I want you to take from this sermon. Number one, God's blessing draws attention. God's blessing draws attention. People can't help but to notice it. Number two, God's blessing creates confrontation. God's blessing creates confrontation. That no matter what, if God is blessing you, you should expect confrontation. Because of point number one. And number three... God's blessing brings ultimately peace 
and glory to God. God's blessing brings ultimately peace and glory to God. So now let's dig in a little bit more. Look, at, look with me at Genesis 26, verses 12 through 14. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more and became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with, the, with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So you see, God is with Isaac, and Isaac prospers because of God's presence in the midst of famine. Don't miss that. Remember last week we talked about how dependent these people were upon both the rain and the crops, even more so than today's farmers. God's people here are being provided for, but not just for their sustenance, but for their abundance. And notice also that the herdsmen on the land take note of that. God's people in Isaac and Rebekah are reaping 100-fold more than what was sufficient for him. And so with that, Isaac is able to feed those beyond his own family and sell some of his crops and become wealthy. God is blessing him, but even in that blessing, he's a blessing to those around him. We next read that Isaac and Rebekah moved to the valley of Gerar, where his father Abraham had lived and dug wells and also grown great. God's blessing continues to be conspicuous in Isaac and Rebekah's life. And it's worth noting that despite Isaac's great wealth, he goes out of his way to not be in conflict with those with whom he comes to encounter. And why does he go out of his way to not be in conflict with them? Because he trusts in God's blessing. So look further with me in verses 19 and 20. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. It's hard for us to understand the lavish blessing that God's giving Isaac and Rebekah as they move about here. It's as if Isaac has the Midas touch, right? Everything that he touches springs forth with water instead of gold. But of course, that water is so valuable in this culture. And stop for a second and consider the frustration that Isaac and his man, men must have had. Has anybody ever dug a well? Yeah? I know at least two people. <laughs> when you dig a well, now we have all sorts of modern tools to do, and it's still a lot of work, right? 
But can you imagine digging a well with hand tools in this era? Can you imagine how much work that is? Did you get a sense of frustration in the passage that I just read? And they dug another well. And they moved and dug another well. And finally, as if saying, oh, enough is enough, he's at his wit's end, he names the last one Rivoth, saying, for now the Lord has made room for us. You almost can hear the sigh in that. Ah, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Right? This is no small thing. And remember how last week we talked about how this passage seemed to be a passage with deja vu? Well, once again, the Bible follows a structure that's intentionally bringing this up in your mind. If you were with us last year for the first part of this series, Abraham goes through this too, right? Look in your bulletins. I actually put the reference there for you. We're not going to turn there. But if you look in your bulletins on page 7 you'll see yet another parallel. Remember last week there was a parallel in Isaac passing off his wife as his sister? Well, here again there's a parallel with Genesis chapter 21 where there's a dispute about wells. And Abimelech and Philco, those names actually come up. We're not sure if it's actually the people or if those are like, um, like dynastic names, you know, like Queen Elizabeth I, Elizabeth II. Right? Abimelech. This might be Abimelech the second. There's a statement that the Lord has been with you, and then there's an oath and a treaty made, and it's at the very same place here in Beersheba. And this is really intentional. What Scripture is doing here, if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, is taking us back and saying, you've been here before, we've gone down this path before, and has God been present? And has God blessed His people? And of course, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And so we see once again the Bible taking us back to this other passage to reinforce the fact that God is caring for His children of promise. These wells could rightfully be considered to be the property from the get-go of Isaac because of Genesis chapter 21. I just want to read a little part of that passage for you. So if you do have your Bibles, you can turn back with me to Genesis chapter 21, verse 22 through 24, and then verse 32. So this is before today's. This is back in Genesis chapter 21. At that time, Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but I have dealt kindly with you so that you will deal with me and with the land where you sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. And then moving on to verse 32 in that same chapter, chapter 21. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there upon the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. 
So what this is drawing us back to is the fact that there had already been a treaty made. There had already been a treaty made. Commentator Gordon Wenham writes that Abraham had made this agreement with Abimelech, allowing him to use this well, at the very least near Beersheba, but now these rights are forgotten and disregarded. So what's significant here? And that's, there's a contrast with last week, with last week, with Isaac's disposition and with Isaac's actions. Whereas last week he resorts to deception and passes his wife, Rebecca, off as his sister, this week what does he do? He persistently trusts in the Lord. He persistently trusts in the Lord's provision. We see evidence of it again back in our passage, Genesis 26, in verses 22 through 25. Look at it with me. This is verse 22 of Genesis chapter 26. So it should be in your bulletin. And he moved from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it. So he called the name Riboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Okay, we read that already, but continuing. From there he went up to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. And what's Isaac's response? Look at verse 25. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. So we, hear, we see Isaac reacting in great faith and in worship and adoration to God who is continually blessing him. And we also see that God doesn't just bless him with water but restores this treaty. He restores this treaty from Abraham with Abimelech. Abimelech and Philco once again come and they testify to the fact that Isaac has the presence of God, as we've already read, and has the blessing of God. Now this is really important because in salvation history, we see God protecting Abraham's chosen offspring, the Jews, to bring forth Jesus Christ. Time and time again, God provides for his people when there seems to be no hope. And there's lessons for us in this today too, of course, as Christians, as those who follow Jesus. Number one, that being in God's presence will draw attention to you, as I've already said. And maybe you've seen it in your own life. Do you wonder why sometimes you feel like the spotlight's on you? Why do people ask what you think about things? or for your advice. Sometimes it's inordinate. The answer is that, as with Isaac, a strong follower of Jesus is in the presence of God, and because of that, you're going to raise eyebrows. You're going to be noticed. But also, God's going to use your efforts to multiply His will. And that's really important, too. You see, Isaac's blessings were material. He becomes a really wealthy man. Yours may be. Perhaps God's made you wealthy and prosperous. But perhaps you're not materially wealthy. It's not necessarily about material wealth here. That's not the point. And if 
you've heard pastors that say it is, they're wrong. But rather, it's because we are all wealthy with being children of God. Not just children of promise, but children of the King Himself. Remember, Jesus Christ Himself was poor materially. In last week's Gospel we read in Luke 9:58, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. That's Jesus, the Son of God. And who would call Him poor? None of us. But He was poor materially. As Christians, you and I walk around with the most incredible blessing, having God as your friend. The gift of Christianity, and I think this is really important because it seems to get lost. The gift of Christianity is not about just beliefs or prayers or moral codes or liturgies. Those things are important. They're aspects of being a Christian. But the most important blessing of being a Christian is God Himself. God Himself dwelling in you. Dwelling in you. And when we forget that, when we get sidetracked by that other stuff, which again can be very good, don't get me wrong, when it becomes primary, instead of understanding that God is in you as the primary thing in the Holy Spirit, we get ourselves into trouble. For God's blessings by being present in you, just like with Isaac, are lavish. Are lavish. And yet, so often, we don't see it that way. We don't recognize it. 19th century Bishop of Liverpool, J.C. Ryle, writes, Do we want a mighty and powerful friend? Such a friend is Jesus. He's able to give those that love Him the best of gifts. He can give them in life inward comforts, which money can never buy. Peace in poverty, joy in sorrow, patience in suffering. The person or group of people who have God's presence, dear friends, who have Jesus at the center of themselves and their lives, are a very blessed people. And the world can't miss it. It will bring attention to you because the world is dark and as we sung in our sequence hymn, we are full of God's light. Number two, God's presence often brings confrontation not just to Isaac and Rebecca, but to us as well. We can talk a great deal about why having God's presence and blessing brings confrontation, can't we? Like Isaac's opponents and neighbors, and the herdsmen, and the Philistines of Gerar, such confrontation can be motivated on their part by jealousy, or fear, or envy, and sometimes the very forces of darkness themselves. But as our Gospel today testifies, the disciples of Jesus have a recognizable authority by being in the presence of God and having His presence with them. Notice, the sick are healed in the Gospel passage today. And people are freed from demonic possession in the Gospel passage today. But for most of us, that's not what we're dealing with, right? For most of us, we are communicating God's presence with our neighbors in our words and in our actions. And yet, many people don't like that. Why? Why would someone not like the gospel? Why would someone not like the good news? Well, 
The theological name for that is being unregenerate because their hearts are cold and hard. Their hearts are cold and hard and they would rather tear down what's good than have it themselves. There are people in rebellion. Isaac probably could have fought the herdsmen, notice, over each well. He's a wealthy man, like his father Abraham. He's got armed people with him. He, had, he would have been right to have done so. He would have been just to have done so. But despite that frustration, he keeps moving, rather following God, making room for him by his blessing. In Ecclesiastes 3.8, we're told that wars... There's a time for peace and a time for war. And on that level, there's a time for confrontation and a time for withdrawal. Isaac discerns that this is a time for withdrawal because God is continually giving him more. He doesn't need that well. He's going to go dig another one and God's going to bring water from it. He has God's presence and blessing and that gives him confidence to move along. And this happens in our lives too, if we see it. It's important for Christians to be unshakable in the fact that they are children of promise. Once again, Bishop Ryle writes, The fear of man is strong. The opposition of the evil world is mighty. The lusts of the flesh rage horribly. The fear of death is terrible. The devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But Jesus is stronger than them all. Jesus can make us conquerors over all these foes. Again, God's presence brings this unshakable confidence and hold in our lives when we're going through some of the most difficult parts and frustrating times, even sometimes in the midst of blessing. But it's this rich blessing that sees us through that turmoil. And finally, point number three. Just as Isaac is at his wit's end, God opens the eyes of Abimelech to see how he is with Isaac, so God will always provide what we need by way of resources and protection to accomplish what he's called his sons and daughters to do. He does both here in the Old Testament and he does so now. Not only does God remind Isaac that he's a son of promise whose offspring will be given the land, notice how often that's repeated here, but he also restates the fact that he's with him and that he's blessing him, that God's presence brings this blessing and that this blessing will eventually bring peace. Have you ever had encouragement from someone that you never expected it from? or an adversary or competitor turn around and say, well done, and you really did a great job on that, and, and you're taken aback because that person's not like that. That's, that's how Isaac reacts to Abimelech, do you see here in today's reading? Isaac says to him in verse 27, why have you come to me seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? And then they give great glory to God which I won't read again because we've already read before. What is most interesting here is that at the end of this passage, God is worshipped and glorified by Isaac and by Abimelech and by Philcol. All together. 
in treaty, and in feasting. God is glorified by all three because of Isaac's faithfulness as a child of promise. Now, out of Abimelech's mouth come these very words, right? In verse 28 there, we plainly see that the Lord has been with you. You are now blessed of the Lord. Dear Christian, brother or sister, you too have the presence of the Lord. If that hasn't stuck with you yet, please take that with you. You too have the presence with the Lord. The Lord dwells in you by His Holy Spirit. And in Jesus Christ, you are so much more than the patriarch Isaac. You're a son or daughter of God. Why do you so often forget that? Why do I so often forget that? Like Isaac, this presence is the blessing. This presence is the ultimate blessing. Oh yes, it will cause you grief, sometimes the hatred of the world. It will cause you confrontation because you contrast with the world. But remember, it's God who's shining through you. And Jesus, our Lord Himself, says, they've not hated you but before, they, but they've hated me first. Indeed, you have a goodly heritage, as we said in the psalm today. Indeed, we have a goodly heritage. We are richly blessed to live in this country, the United States, which still defends our freedom of conscience and religious liberty. Praise God. Don't lose sight of that. Despite our flaws at times, our nation does protect true religion and those in it to be able to live by it, to shine light in the darkness. Take advantage of that because it's not the case throughout the world. As the Reverend Isaac Lewis preached in Stamford in 1796, a preacher who Washington greatly admired and wrote to, what he wrote remains true today. To live the life of righteousness, to exhibit in our daily deportment a specimen of Christian virtues, is a constant and practical defense of the gospel. Let our lives convince every beholder that religion is an undoubted reality. Let them see in our practices that is inconceivable the most benevolent and human system ever revealed to man, and that our belief in it is cordial and unshaken. The argument will certainly carry conviction to their consciences. Friends, glorify God in your daily living, is what he's saying. Follow God faithfully and be a light to the world around you. This is ever true. Most importantly, we do have this goodly heritage. You have this goodly heritage as sons and daughters of God. And that's ours to give to anyone who would receive it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.